name is Neil Middleton and every month we create informative content for you as we talk to important, influential and inspirational people from the world of bats as well as other areas of interest. To find out more about Batability, go to batability.co.uk. Now for the interview, let's do it. And welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to this month's Talking Bat. I am delighted to be joined by Henry Andrews. Uh, Henry is highly respected and well-known within our sector. We're going to be talking about many of the things that he's been involved with over his interesting life so far. Uh, in particular, we're going to talk about the bat tree habitat key and also the Bats and Rock Habitat Key. And behind me, I've got those two marvellous books just sitting there as the backdrop. Henry, how are you this morning? I'm very well, thank you, Neil. And you? Not too bad at all. Not too bad at all. In fact, <laughs> you kind of caught me on the hop there because people don't normally ask me how I am, <laughs> which, is, which is lovely. Thank you. So where are you today? Are you... You're obviously down south compared to where I am. Uh, which yeah. part of the country are you in? I'm in North Devon. I'm in Barnstable and I'm at home. It being the lead up to Christmas, I've taken the week before Christmas off. So I'm actually in my home office. Oh, sitting, and it's a lovely sunny day outside. Lovely day. And same here, actually. We had a massive, well, not a massive, but a prolonged cold spell up here up until about a day ago. And it's now just got considerably warmer again. Is that similar to what you've been experiencing down there? Yeah, it is. Yeah, we had snow here in in uh, North Devon, and it is so unusual that the, the children were in the garden, sort of kicking it and looking at it suspiciously. What, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff. Well, folks, I'm just going to very quickly uh, introduce Henry to you. Um, I would describe Henry as a researcher, an author. Uh, he's uh, well known for as being the founder and the force behind the Bat Tree Habitat Key and more latterly the Bat Rock Habitat Key. He's also an ecological consultant, a trainer, and as I said earlier, hugely respected within our sector. But what I'm really interested here, folks, is how Henry would describe himself. Henry, have I hit that on the head or how would you see yourself? Well, I think I'm an ecological consultant and the other parts of that really fall under that, that, that heading. So the uh, researcher, author, trainer is all really part and parcel of that that role i think yeah yeah no absolutely i can i can see that yeah 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 and we're going to talk we're going to talk shortly about the the books uh but what i'd like to do first of all is just talk a little bit about your journey right what was the early days like for you were you were you into natural history and all this stuff as a kid how did how did it develop to becoming, I suppose, an ecological consultant? You know, what, what was that like? Well, I don't think my story is, I think most people's story is quite different from mine. I mean, I think most people start with a, a, an innate love of natural history and then go on and do biology at A level and then go on and do a uh, zoology or ecology or biology 
degree, don't they? And then then proceed from that. Uh, some people go into conservation, don't they? And uh, and then gradually drift into consultancy. Other people start in academia and then, <clears throat> excuse me, retire and decide from academia and decide that they're going to come into consultancy. So I think my my pathway is somewhat different. I didn't come into ecology as a profession until I was 33 and I'm 52 now. We are of a, a generation where uh, we didn't have computer games, did we, Neil, when we were no, growing no. up? It was your bicycle and that was it. And very much being turfed outside so you didn't wreck the family home. Um, I think that was more... My father worked for the RSPB okay, right. until I was 21, in fact. And so we did spend family holidays in the great outdoors uh, on a particular reserve in Wales where we stayed at a farmhouse called Ridigreis, um that had no gas or electricity. And you, you lived by candlelight and, and sat in front of the fire. And I do remember one Christmas there that was fantastic where there were their stalactites, you know, as high as I was. But then I was relatively small, so they probably weren't that large. But it was all, you know, it was just being, uh, I, I think really I, I didn't have that. I, it wasn't forced upon us, certainly. Um, we were, we went with our father when he was going bird watching, but my, he was very much, I, he loved, he's, I, I, heaven knows why. Dad loves uh, uh, um, uh, waders, you know, okay. wild, wildfowl waders, that kind of thing. And he likes really bleak places, marshland and that kind of thing. Okay. And when you're six years old and only sort of knee high, struggling through long grass is enough to put anybody off. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't have binoculars. <laughs> and even if I had, I couldn't see over the top of anything. So. Uh. Yeah, I think, uh, but but you know, we played outside, didn't we? I, I my my happiest times were going out and knocking conkers off trees, building towers and forts out of piles of straw and bales, making dens, riding our bikes, of course, playing yeah. soldiers, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But I didn't. It wasn't so much a love of natural history as being turfed outside. Um, yeah, I I think that's that's a, a, a tricky one, isn't it? I I'm. I came into ecology because my father had left the RSPB and gone into advising quarry companies uh, on restoration and then had drifted into more widespread consultancy. Okay. And there weren't that many people about then. Graduates were pretty thin on the ground. Yeah. And he needed somebody who was resourceful and reliable to work in some areas that other people were reluctant to go. Okay. And at that time, I had become disenfranchised with my role and if that's the right word and yeah. uh, and I said all right well I'll I'll give it a go and see if I like it and I don't I don't know that I would have stayed all that long if it wasn't for if it wasn't for chance meetings with people so I don't think I'm that interested in natural history in itself I'm yeah. interested in puzzles okay I have, pa- I have a passion for puzzles and uh, uh and I I, I, I can never walk past a job if there's a question there and I can't answer it. I have to know the answer. I'm one of those irritating children that would say, but why? But okay. why? <laughs> but why? <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and through dad giving me this chance, it came about, um, I was doing all sorts of dog's body stuff for him, basically. He did the thinking, I did the dog's body stuff. And there was an occasion where he needed somebody 
to go and shadow a guy that was working near water in okay. a, 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 a potentially dangerous site, as it was. It wasn't particularly, well, I didn't think it was, but anyway. Um, so I had to go and shadow this guy. And it, and it chance has it was Dr. David Gowing. Okay. Um, and David is brilliant mind. And we went into the site, it's Barkswell Marsh, and there's a quarry next door to it. And there was concern that the quarry working was going to dewater Barkswell Marsh, which is a site of special scientific interest. So David had been brought in to see well, whether this truly was the case, to work with their hydrologists and, and to, to, to figure this out. Well, he went in there and I, as I say, but why? But why? I was asking him all these questions and he's great at answering because he's a, he was a lecturer for the Open University. So he's really good with people like me. And he explained that what he was doing was he was looking at the plant community on the, on the slopes of the marsh because it's fed, it's a sort of dish effectively with a stream at the bottom. Yeah. He was looking at the plant community and working out by the different rush species that were present and other plants, whether this was precipitation fed or whether it was groundwater fed. Okay, yeah. And I'd never thought about this at all, but it, I mean, I knew enough, you know, that you didn't tread on sphagnum because you'd end up with a boot full and you jump from tussock to tussock of millennia. <laughs> but that was as far as I'd got. Yeah. And he was explaining all of this to me. And that was it. That, that, that really, I thought, wow, that's ingenious. What a clever thing to do. Yeah. And how do, you, how do you know this? How do you know which plants do this? How do you know how this works? And he explained all of this to me in about, and basically get the, the embryo of, of, of niche theory uh, okay. and, uh, and obviously the reality of it. And I said to him, well, is it worth me doing a, a university, an open university? degree and he said for somebody in your situation and your your background it would probably be better if you did the university certificate with the um university of birmingham the biological recording certificate okay so i it's a really long answer this isn't it um anyway he, so i went up to uh, to to enroll on that and there i met uh, dr sarah wilde and alex lockton and they were inspiring and alex lockton particularly was um was intriguing to me what a mind okay and uh, there i was chugging away with this thing and um, and uh, doing the and doing botanical modules and each module that i did i met more wonderful people like ross bennett uh, 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 judith allison and uh, and they they were they weren't irritated by my constant questions okay it seemed to make them think and they would pause and say well i'm not entirely sure i'd have to think about that nine times out of ten they knew the answer and they could just reel it off to me and uh, um judith allison had created the first punch card key to uh, to identifying grasses by vegetative characteristics alone wonderful i thought it was great so i got this ms dos dis from her and i came away and i played with that and i loved all of that i thought that was absolutely wonderful and uh, I got to the end of that and uh, Alex said, well, why don't you do the, um, the master's degree? And I thought, oh, well, I'm not sure I've managed that. I think I'd probably be overwhelmed. But he said, not at all. We can, we can coach you through it. Uh, that's what we're there for. And so I enrolled on that thinking, oh, this is a lot of money and I hope I don't make a fudge of it. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but on that, I was then introduced to other people. So I met Dr. Mark Gardner, who I, I'm functionally enumerate, but Mark can explain higher level stats to even okay. someone like me so i didn't know how to do it but i could see how it could answer these questions by pooling these different 
sort of data streams together and I felt what a puzzle what a mind this is wonderful I love this and of course you're surrounded by other other um students who are equally enthusiastic yeah and so I think that was really I just yeah it was the environment among other other people i'm not much of a people person so i suppose an awful lot of my where i might be perceived for having a passion for natural history is having a passion for places where people are not <laughs> <laughs> the wilderness <laughs> so but that, that yeah that, that that really was it and that was that 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 infused me and If you're enjoying listening to our podcasts, perhaps you would also be interested in joining Batability Club. To find out more about Club, which includes hundreds of hours of accessible training resources available to you in your own time and at your pace, go to batability.co.uk. Thank you. So, the journey takes you... Um, through working with your dad um, and you end up setting up your own ecological well setting yourself up as an ecological consultancy uh, do you want to talk a lot about 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 that and you know where that then takes you yeah well I didn't really I didn't set it up dad had I just okay. stepped in so okay. little by little I did more and more until our paths diverged he wanted to do less and uh, he went off he went back I mean like me he got he ended up doing a lot of work he wasn't really interested in he wanted to concentrate on just the um the uh, um, restoration advice for quarries so he stepped back carried on under the heading of the company but I was then running it and we took on staff and turned it into a a fully fledged multidisciplinary consultancy okay okay yeah yeah, no, interesting stuff. And how long ago was that roughly when 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 that was happening? Because you say you're you're fifty two now. Um, yeah, I guess that would have been about ten years ago. It would have been about okay. twenty twelve when Dad finally said, "You know, I'm done with this. I, I'm exhausted, and I I don't want to be working full time anymore." So yes, yeah. it would have been about twenty twelve. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, and one of sorry, no, have you got anything else to start there? Um, no, um, no. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I took on the consultancy and I carried on with it, but mainly because it sustained me. It kept me in that environment, meeting people who were uh, uh, who 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 fueled me, inspired me, buoyed me up. Yeah. So I, you know, still being here in consultancy, I had my dormouse training from Dr. Paul Channing, so I was able to 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 question him about otters at the same time and just be you know I, it's Paul Channing for heaven's sake yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool just being <laughs> out in the field with him I yeah. had my back training from George Bement who is one of the the finest minds in, in bat ecology and there's very little George can't answer and she's okay. terrifically enthusiastic gives you more information than you you actually wanted I had reptile training from Howard Hillier and then from um Chris Glee Owen. Okay. Yeah. So I've not done badly. Um, so yeah, and that 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 really I the the consultancy and working in that part of it was sustained by the positives of these 
meetings and people using you and and giving you information and they're saying you need to read this you need to do this so there's always a sort of another mountain to climb little mountains but mountains nonetheless yeah yeah it's well infused yeah and one one of the things let's take this on to the bat roosts and trees which uh, ended up as being a book but had existed for quite some time before the book came out uh, where you were involved in gathering uh, data on uh, roost features that uh, or other tree features that bats would use for roosting purposes and all that kind of stuff. I suppose bearing in mind what you've just been talking about earlier, this was one massive puzzle, I suppose, that uh, intrigued you and uh, drove you to trying to find out more. Do you want to talk a little bit about the the preamble the backdrop to the the key wow and the now yeah. Yeah. here's here's a story for you um this came about i was doing phase one survey and i did uh, at a site in lincolnshire and it had had a bat survey done by somebody else and they had found six tree roosts you know i like trees i like woodland and yeah. they'd found six bat roosts in trees so while i'm doing the um the phase one survey i was looking at their looking for their trees and they were easy to find because they were marked with word bat in big yellow letters <laughs> okay and i looked at them and i thought oh, i'm not sure about that okay is, is that really where they live because that's okay wow that's that's something to think about but i went in and i was having my lunch in an area of little sycamore coop okay and i went to hang my um hard hat up on a twig blisteringly hot day um and i hung my hard hat up securing the knowledge that nobody could see me on a twig and i could hear something in the tree going eh, eh, eh. and okay. i thought where the hell's that coming from so i went around the tree looking eating a sandwich in one hand and looking thinking there must be um there must be a nest with chicks in it i wonder what's here and i walked around the tree that's very odd strange looking feature got my little um little mini mag light out shone it in the hole didn't seem to go anywhere. Thought that was odd. Got on my knees, looked up. There's a bat, and right. I didn't know what it was at first. I mean, it looked—you know—they don't look like. Is that a mouse? What is that? Yeah. Um, well, it was actually it was a uh, uh, Dorbenton's, um, and I'd I'd seen pipistrelles when I was very small. Somebody showed me one, and I don't remember being particularly enamoured with it. It wasn't a mouse. Um, and the wings looked a little strange, um, and uh, but anyway, there, there was this bat. Wow, wow! Is this on their map? No, it's not. Okay. Why is this odd? So I'm walking around, carrying and eating my sandwiches, and by the end of the day, I'd found five more features, and all of them later turned out to be roosts. One was a um, long-eared roost, and the other five were daubs. There's a okay. big, um, big uh, uh, um, lagoon, freshwater lagoon, next to the site quarry. Anyway um i then came away and thought i need to know more about this and started reading up on it um and just at that time my uh little boy eugene was born and he had he was born with huge problems and he spent six weeks in intensive care so it was and he had to have operations and all sorts fine now fine now it's okay huge breaking things around the house doing all the things that you know yeah supposed to do yeah yeah. (laughs) um and uh but anyway there we are we we we, we're in hospital 
bang. And I've got to support Teresa. And I've got to keep my mind occupied because I'll be useless to her unless I do. So I had done two, two of the university certificate modules, which involved making a uh, dichotomous key. One was with Rod Bennett, was um, flowering plants. One was Sarah Wilde. This was grasses. And I had to create, uh, to, to get my, mod, my points for my certificate, I had to create these dichotomous keys. And I loved them. I thought they were great. I sat there with Stace. I got a copy of it. And I sat there going through and I thought, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> I, what great fun it must have been to create this thing. And then follow, I followed the rabbit hole down as I was doing. I found Clapham Tutin and Warburg and all the other earlier earlier keys that were out there. Yeah. Um, uh, Frost's Roses stuff and all this sort of stuff and, all, and, and compared how they did it and was just intrigued by the whole process. Anyway, now Jean's in hospital. And I thought, I need something to occupy my mind. I've got this bat thing on the go. I wonder if it's possible to create a dichotomous key to bat roosts in trees. I think there's probably enough information there. There's a lot of journal papers to which I have access. There's a lot of books out there which have got the information in. I wonder if I can come up with something relatively rudimentary so that I can find tree roosts of other species. So that's what I did. I built this thing on the basis of specific very broad environmental cues. I mean, are you in a wood? Are you on a riverbank? That kind of thing. And then yeah. what's the feature on the tree? And then when are you there? Oh, okay. I've still got the original. I did the whole thing on uh, an A4 pad, lined pad. And I did wow. it with a big pen and just built the whole thing and, and then enlarged it and enlarged it and then realised I needed to divide it into different um sort of uh, broad biotopes and then so on and so on so i did that and when i got to the end of it i thought i am only one man i wonder whether anybody else would like to test it so i then <laughs> i then wrote the whole thing up on a uh, on a laptop and uh, and then thought oh okay well i know broadly what i'm doing i suppose we need some instructions so i bearing in mind i've only found six roosts by this stage by the time i was writing this thing up and put it out i really didn't know um, so I then came up with that and uh, uh, I wrote some very rudimentary instructions with some fairly poor photographs, which various people corrected me on. And I then started looking more into the trees and what they could deliver and pestering people on that. Why? But why? But why? Yeah, yeah. You need this book and you need this book and you need to come here and I will show you this. And so that built. And so uh, and I put the key out and some people did actually test it with existing roosts and said you know what it works is okay. this there's something in this yeah um but some of it blatantly didn't work um and uh particularly nobody was finding whiskered or brands okay. we didn't know how that worked so it was clear that there were more information was needed and then by that stage i had gone on to doing the master's degree and that was it was just precipitous. I mean, it was just it just worked out. There were the people there to be able to ask that question to. How do I design this thing? How do I build this thing? How do I turn it into something more than it is? And I had the people sat there every evening in the common room to be able to sidle up with a bottle of wine and say, I wonder if I can have a moment of your time while I fill their glass. <laughs> <laughs> and then pump them for all the information I need. And, yeah. and it just built from there. But it was, it was really, it was a consultancy need. And there was this, well, bat roosting trees are really, really rare. But I found six in this one really, really small area. So there must be more to it. And then it went off, as these things do, on a tangent. And I had this idea about shapes. 
So I'm not finding enough brown long-eared roosts. You know, there are fourth commonest species. They should be everywhere. And we know that they're, they're, they're widespread. They should be absolutely everywhere. So why am I not finding them? Because I'm not. And, uh, and I thought, well, you know, you, you, you work from what you know to what you don't know. So you go and you look at where they are in houses. Well, in houses, they like these peaks, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I thought, okay, well, what feature delivers that in trees? And I had an arborist friend at the time, and I asked him, and he said, well, you're looking at hazard beams. That is absolutely typical hazard beam. I went, where, where, where would I find one of those? Where's got one of those on? And he said, ah, right, okay, hazard beams are a feature of car parks. So he said, you know the tree where we take the kids to go to the loo? Uh, yeah. at, um, uh, at uh, I can't remember the name of the wood now, but there's uh, behind the car park. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know that. He said, well, look immediately behind that and look up the slope. You'll see one. Okay. Okay. Beyond the big rowan, the thing with the lo loads and loads of berries on it. I know where a rowan is anyway. So I went over and sure enough, there are these two hazard beams on there, but they're, re they're, they're relatively horizontal. But I went home and I got a ladder out and I bought an endoscope by then. Do you remember the first ones, those American ones we had with a, with a, oh, yeah, 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 horrid, yeah, yeah, or anything like that. Yeah, I totally horrid, yeah. And I put one of them in the tree. <gasps> There's a long eared. Oh, wow. wow. So wow. I put one in the other feature. There are two long eards. And I yeah. was thinking, oh, hang on. I know where there's another one of these features. I have seen another one. There's another one round by Holford Car Park. Back in the vehicle, drive around to Holford Car Park, get the ladder up. This feature's a bit too high. I wouldn't do it today. Um, hang on the top rung, gripping the tree, endoscope in. <gasps> there's another long eared. I got down from the ladder. I was Gandalf. I was designing robes of states <laughs> to be able to go out and spread the word. And, and yeah, and really that was that was it. After that, I then thought, well, okay, you know, some species occupy voids, some species occupy crevices, some species can occupy both, but at different for different purposes. Yeah. Um, some only occupy very specific situations. And so, yeah, and that that. But that was another puzzle and it hadn't been written up. So I then just trawled back through. But I think, yeah, I think um, it's worth pointing out at this stage that I had no primary data at that time. I was using other people's data. So I was getting journal papers and yes. writing them and, and just collating them to put them into a toolbox form. So getting everybody's work, pulling it all together to then get it into something that could then be applied as a, as, a, as a tool and uh, and i get an enormous amount of credit for other people's work where yeah. where because a lot of people don't have access to journal papers do they it's becoming i think and, and quite rightly we're seeing a lot more open access journals yes now. but that's only really happened in the last five ten years that yeah. didn't exist before yeah. you, had, you had to pay and unless you knew people who had these subscriptions you you know, pay a lot of money i mean the 35 60 quid for a single journal paper which may or may not have what you want in it when you've got it yeah yeah you, you just get a that, refund yeah you yeah. spend that much and you're only interested in one paragraph you know <laughs> that's that's yeah thing, yeah uh, the, uh, the, but the thing that that's the thing uh, you, you know having started pulling this together and showing people some degree of value for it and that i wasn't just just a, a, a an exploitative chancer i was you know trying i was trying to use this to to benefit the bats then other people then said oh well 
I can give you access to my library, I can give you these journal papers, I've translated this paper and you might want to look at that. Yeah. So that that opened uh, opened a lot of doors. But um, but uh, in the tree world, there are there are two people who wherever I go, I find their footprints before me. They've been there before me. OK, uh, Jeff Billington and okay. Frank Greenaway. OK, yeah. And uh, throughout pretty much everything I have done with bats, everything that I've done, no matter how obscure I think it is, I find Jeff Billington's footprints. He has okay. been there before me and done it. Okay. So really, okay. he's the man everybody should be thanking because all I did was take his stuff and write it down. So uh, at some stage in this process, um, lots more people started getting involved and feeding you uh, actual data from tree roosts that they themselves were uh, either stumbling across or actively seeking out and mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Um, do you want to make comment on that? Because by the time you get to the websites and the data populating and stuff, uh, the impression I get is there's more than just yourself involved now at this stage. There's, uh... there's everybody. Yeah. 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 Uh, it was the idea was to make it open access. And the idea was to get it so that little by little at the start, it was all my photos and yeah. And then little by little pulling in things from other people and replacing that. But it kind of snowballed and, uh, and the, uh, the, the websites were born of the fact that I was just getting too many emails. So I had to find some other way of, of <laughs> channeling this repository and making yeah. it separate from the business because it was really overtaking everything. But yes, I, you've now got you've got a huge amount of people involved. Um, I, you know, I had I employed uh, uh, Dr. James McGill as an entomologist and James was a brilliant sounding board, still is, um, and gave me access to a massive amount of, of, uh, of, uh, uh, of published material, um, as well as collaborating with me on things. Um, you've got uh, and all the other all the other recorders out there. So you've got uh, Keith Cohen and Dr. Daniel Linton working up at Whiteham, who yeah. recorded a huge amount um you've got rich flight up in cumbria um uh jim holland who yeah. did years of data and is still actively trying to to figure to to, to 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 do things better i mean deliver better compensation deliver better surveys and looking into that as well as you know just a huge number of other people and still yeah. carrying on with dr mark gardner and collaborating with him when I say collaborating, I go to Mark and say, I think there's enough data to be able to answer this question. Can it be done? And Mark will look at it. Oh, yeah, all right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not like that. And, and yeah, so I'm able to go to him and say, this is the question that I've got. Can it be answered with this data? I think it can. But you're the man to be able to tell me the confidence intervals yeah. on it. And he will then do things with stats that are just... Yeah, well, well like, like, yeah, like yourself, Henry, when it comes to stats, I'm totally useless. I mean, I, I can do averages and means, and that's that's about as far as my stats go. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, he's on, a, he's on a completely different level, and he's able to explain it. So this is what I've done. Can you understand? And I can ask him questions to fully understand it, and he will come back and keep explaining it and explaining it and explaining it until it, it eventually goes in and I get it. 
and you yeah. get it yeah yeah no that, that's what you need that's what you definitely need yeah but with so, other pe- without other people these projects would just have fallen they would have just died it is all about it's about everybody else and i think that's reflected in the books yeah. with the amount of photographs that were given by other people and the amount of data that's there and you look people have recorded hundreds of tree roosts now and are continuing to record them because until you stats are great but they make a prediction on a limited a limited amount of information in a limited geographical area. Yes. Yeah. Where uh, and they, you, but you, and you can't extrapolate that due to the climatic differences across the British Isles and the differences in the distribution of species that are in reflection of climatic differences and the, the the land use cover in those parts of the British Isles. So unless you've got comprehensive coverage right the way across, you're missing something. Yeah. And yeah. other than and. John Haddo and, and some other notables in the um, in in Scotland have uh, have provided data to us, um, but we've got very little from Northern Ireland, and okay. you know, okay. it would be good to get the Republic of Ireland involved as well because it's all more or less the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, from, from a bat perspective, it's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So you end up uh, being asked or deciding to produce uh, a book uh, putting all of this stuff together a highly successful book I don't think there's many people in the ecology sector certainly in the bat world that doesn't have a copy or doesn't have access to this book Uh, tell me a little bit about the challenges pulling all of this together into a book format which isn't an easy thing to do because it's got to be concise, it's got to be readable, it's got to be understandable, it's got to be accurate, <laughs> etc. etc. Um, what was that journey like for you, putting all of this into book format? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, it, it was supposed to be really easy, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Nigel Masson came to me and said he was interested in publishing Battery Habitat Key. And I said, no, that was free. And I had said it was always going to be free. So yeah. that that's sort of, that's become a, a report. And I think it was last updated in 2020. Could do with a refresh, really. Um, but I thought... Oh, I thought I could box clever here. I started running this course to be able to subsidize the website and and lots of other things besides equipment that we needed to be able to do and analysis that we needed, DNA, all that kind of stuff that was was taking up quite a lot of money. And uh, so I'd run the course and I had these handouts that I was giving on the course and the handouts turned into a booklet at the end. So you got them, not in the order that they would be in your booklet, but in the end, you then put them together and la 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 you have this guide to finding tree roofs it was all terrifically clever uh so i thought um and i thought you know what we could do here is we could pull the handouts together in a little booklet and get him to publish that and then i won't have to keep printing these damn handouts before every course (laughs) i can just give people a copy of this little booklet and i had this idea in my mind that it would be something like you know um is it what bat is it the, the Stebbings yeah, uh-huh, book, yeah, little little, yeah. little booklet that was that was how i saw it in my head but that, that's so interesting i'm just because that's exactly how i saw the social calls <laughs> in my head you know yeah. I, I, tw- 25 pages you know yeah 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 <laughs> oh i could turn that out in a lunch hour yeah that sort of thing <laughs> So I could totally relate to what you're saying there. Anyway, continue, continue with your story. Yeah. Well, I then started writing it up, and and 
we were talking about going off on a tangent. <laughs> oh boy, did we! Um, and uh, and I thought, well, wow. Okay, well, we need to put this in context. Why do you need this book in the first place? Um, Pelagic had a basic framework, you know, the sort of th things you might consider as headings. And, uh, and so I, and, well, why would people do, do this? Why do they need this book? Why is it relevant? So that took up a whole chapter, didn't it? And then, uh, and then we got into actually really following the rabbit hole down and thinking, I can't just give them the handouts because the handouts away from the rest of the talks in the slides. Yeah. are really irrelevant so i then thought well look maybe i can get out of doing the course completely by putting the whole of the course into a book then they just read the book then right, if they yeah. can't make it down to somerset to do the course they could just read the book and do what it says in the book where you go yeah yeah this will this this will work so it just built and built and built. And then there were questions that were thrown up as I was getting my thoughts in order in the book to make sure that this did actually work. Because, of course, you can't ask questions of a book where you can when I'm delivering a talk. Yeah. So I, 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 I then went off on slight tangents and thought, oh, you know what would be interesting? We need to give some sort of wow factors of this. So let's go away and see what else we can do. And there was a lot of analysis that had been building in the background, chugging over that I'd never really done. So all of that needed to be done and pulled in and the thing just built and built and built. And then I looked at my photos and I thought, well, they're OK, but I know there are better ones out there. And I know other people have had other experiences. So let's start chasing people up and asking them whether I can use their photos. And everybody said yes here. Bosh. Yeah. And yeah. then I had massive photos and was thinking, oh, that's wonderful. <gasps> but that one's better. <gasps> but look at that one. Oh, which am I going to use? And then you start feeling bad because there are some people who hope you're going to use their photos, but not all the photos can get in and stuff like this happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I managed to get pretty much everybody's photos in there okay. in the end, in one way or another, because of okay. course, mine weren't anything like as good as theirs. When you look at the cover there with, uh, with um, Yasudeka's photo and R R Renee Janssen's photo, much, much better than mine. And Excellent. the one thing I didn't want was my name on the book because it isn't me. It's everybody. I built it yeah. on other people's research. I didn't do that research. That journal paper that might be six, 11 pages long took them you know, five years to pull all that data together and all the rest of that work. Yeah. And I've used loads of those in there. So it's not about me. And then the photos, it's not about me. It's about other people. All the data that's in there, Mark's um, uh, input, not about me. So the one concession I made was my photo on the front of it, which we went out and took especially because I hate climbing. I'm terrified of heights. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Mm. So, I mean, it's been very, very successful. You must be... I don't know how, how, how do you and I know it's not about you okay I totally I totally get that but I also totally get Henry that the amount of time and effort and blood sweat and tears and commitment and resolve it takes to pull something like that together it's huge it's massive it isn't something that just takes a couple of weeks I mean was that a year? Was that a couple of years from the point that Nigel spoke to you to the to the book being available? What kind of length of time were you talking about? Can you I, think, I think I wrote it in a year. Right. And then it took another year to pull it together and get it finished, I think. Yeah. 
but Nigel did an awful lot of that. I was barely involved in that part of it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it took it took a little while to put it, but at once I'm I'm very tunnel vision blinkered. I um, and uh, um, so once I get stuck into something, that's it. And I'm very very lucky that uh, Teresa is excellent at managing me and managing our house. We have a rule. I I am in charge of the business. She yeah. is in charge of the home. So she can plate spin with absolutely everything else. I mean, she does all the admin for the business as well. She is superwoman, but she's yeah. very good at recognizing I'm not going to calm down until I've done it. Yeah. So if I'm going off to write it, then I'm going off to write it. No, that's it. Leave me alone. Yeah. And of course yeah. there were things, there were gaps in it where I suddenly the, the writing the book identified the gap and that gap had to be filled. And so there was then, well, has anybody else got this data? And if they haven't, I'm going to have to go and get it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to go and find that out because I can't just leave that as, as, as a gap. There are some points in there where it simply says no data, but that yeah. wasn't through lack of trying. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can, I can totally relate to all of that. I can totally relate. So having gone through that journey, um, you decide let's do it all again, but with batteries and rock. <laughs> how, how did that come about? I suppose that maybe links in part to the previous experiences and quarries. Does it? Is there a link there? Um, yeah, there yeah. is. I realised that there was a gap in my knowledge, and that all these bats were disappearing in the winter, but some of them weren't there in the summer. Yeah. And uh, I just, I was. It seemed to be the elephant in the room. Nobody seemed to be talking about it. They came in. That was all that had started at the time when I was thinking about shapes and I was thinking about cavity walls. And, you know, if these are the shapes that are occupied, you know, houses haven't always, the cavity wall only really came in, well, what, in the 1950s? Perhaps okay. earlier? Yeah. yeah. So where had the bats been before then? Where had serotines been? I knew nothing of serotines. They don't really treat. Not really. They do in France, they don't here. Yeah. Um, so I was, it was, uh, where are they? There must be out there where there aren't that many house roosts. They've got to be using a different environment. And that was really born of, yeah, a consultancy need. I was doing, I'd be given a project to convert two railway tunnels into um, uh, about high binoculum, okay. binocular, because there are two surgeons. Um, and I did, I, I always start at the beginning, what is known. So I did the perfectly sensible and reasonable design in, uh, in the bat mitigation guidelines, and he didn't work. Okay. And so I then started going back, while I was doing that, I was going back and getting all the research that had been done in, um, in Holland and in Germany and over here, but less published. I mean, really, you've got Roger Ransom's stuff from 1969, 1970, I think. Okay. And then yeah. really, there's the trail runs dead. Nobody's really thought about it. But a huge amount has been done abroad, Sweden, Holland, Balkans. Um, so I went away and found out what they were they were finding, what the environment that which took me back into environmental niche. I mean, I can tell you which features bats occupy on a tree, but I can't tell you why. I can't tell you why they'll be in one hazard beam and not in the other. Well, why not? I'd already come to the conclusion that has to be something to do with the microclimate and the meso environment outside. So you've got the macro environment, which is, you know, British Isles. You've got the meso environment where that tree is actually growing and the, the environment it exists in. And then the microclimate inside. Okay. Yeah. 
So this was, uh, uh, that roosting rock was an opportunity to investigate that and make my design work. And I started doing that, looking in all the different crevices in, in rock faces. And I can't remember wh which came first. I don't know whether Rob Bell contacted me first or I contacted him. Um, but uh, but it, it built on that. No, I tell you, it came earlier than that. I had spoken with Mike Shuring about it much earlier on. Mike had done a really interesting study for uh, uh, a degree or a whole master's where he sent out a questionnaire to rock climbers. And okay. I had built a provisional advisory guide for the quarry company as I was working with using his stuff and just literature. Nothing of my, well, very little of my own. I had a bit, but not very much. Okay. Um, and so I then thought, well, we need to do this. We need to, this needs to be a project. We need to find out what's going on here because I'm, I'm sure that these things, I don't think, I don't think rock climbers are causing the problem, but I do think there's a potential for real damage elsewhere through various different developments and just the pressure of public access. And I was finding that quarries were being, um, I never considered what happened to um, the, uh, the, 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 hardstone quarries that were um, uh, uh, in their afterlife um, and a lot of them were being landfilled okay right. so there was a real potential bats would just be entombed okay so a lot of the quarries that i had done work on these have very very long lifespans so the restoration is a lot for you do much less restoration work with these things but then i got a couple though where they had a, a a sort of it wasn't biodiversity led it was really just we close the gates and walk away but that's biodiversity led as far as i'm concerned yeah. um but then we found that they were being um they were being bought up and applications put in for landfill and i thought whoa 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 yeah you okay. could be doing massive damage here what on earth and the, so it, it was kind of it was uh, I was asked to advise. Well, what what are the biodiversity implications here? Because clearly we need to do the um, we need to do an, uh, an EIA on this. And I was thinking, I, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. And I think it was kind of the elephant in the room. Well, we don't know. So we just keep going, doing what we're doing. Yeah. 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 And I think if any of the quarry companies, I, I have given some of them copies of the book. Some have met it with, uh, oh, wow, you've done this. Wow, this is great. This is really great. And yeah. others, it's been, oh, hello. What have we got here then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we might want to edit this bit out. <laughs> so, yeah. And that, but that was, that, that, that led into an opportunity to collaborate with a whole load of other people. So there was, there was stuff with um, uh, um, Rob Bell and his team and Hal Starkey and his team and all the data they were pulling together amongst others. Um, I'd seen a talk given by Sam Dyer at the Welshback conference and um, on Seratins and been fascinated that he was finding them in these old limestone quarry faces. That was wow. so that was immediately, whoa, well, that's where they are. So there's more to this. And that was, that was fascinating. And then all, all the other stuff with the, um, the subterranean environment which led me to finally getting the environment right in these two railway tunnels okay yeah using yeah. data loggers and learning how to do it and having done that i thought well i'm not alone in this there must, must be other people who yeah. need this information too and you never know when you're going to get fall out of a tree or get hit by a bus so it's just good to get it out there so that other people can find it yeah. so did you did you find pulling that together um did you find that easier because of what you'd gone through with the bat tree habitat key uh did you imagine 
that it was going to be less challenging because she already had a sort of template work process type thing there already for the tree stuff. Uh, or in reality, did it just become so challenging, but in a totally different way? I mean, what was that like? That uh, it was, well, it was, in some ways it was easier because it was already com compartmentalised. We had rock faces, loose rock, and then subterranean rock. Uh, in other ways, it was, and there, there was a lot less published yeah. on this. Rock faces, very little. Loose rock, nothing. Um, subterranean rock, a lot, but but really well published. I mean, really good stuff. Yeah. So it was very easy. The data was there to be able to be able to pull, you know, five papers together, collate it, and make one whole more powerful thing. The yeah. data was absolutely beautiful. Um, so uh, yeah, that, uh, in 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 Europe, they 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 really have their 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 um their data together. Um, in other ways, it was harder because I didn't have the lead in. So with bat roosting trees, I've been working on that for about ten years before that book came. Yeah, yeah. Whereas bat roosting rock, that just went bam, and I needed it because those yeah. tunnels weren't working, and they had to work. Yeah, because it was just too big a puzzle. I just, I, you know, <laughs> and it was so hard to get into. They're up a cliff face, so they're really hard to get into. Yeah. And yeah. I had to, so there was a lot in that. I went away and learned how to drive a mute so that I could get in it, you know, cherry picker, yeah. and scared myself witless in that. So just focus on the entrance and don't look at the ground, steering your little <laughs> basket, which is bouncing up and down. I don't like this. But anyway, um, but uh, and I was also collaborating with people who were, who were, who were great. Okay. And, really quick enthusiastic um and didn't shy away from the the criticism that I, that you need yeah so that was that was much much easier but everybody just yeah everybody just handed everything over and said there you go do with it as you wish uh, just generosity all around so in some ways it was they're different different problems but different, it was yeah, yeah. yeah i also had i have to say i had james as well Dr. James McGill, and he was great for doing a lot of the the, the uh, fiddly work in there, okay. which was which took a lot of weight off me. So yeah, there was a yeah yeah. And I, and I suppose also uh, having done the first habitat key, um, it's much easier, I suppose, to push open doors and to get people on board with the second idea because they've already seen what's been produced previously and they know it's not just a pie in the sky idea that's not going to go anywhere they can actually say to themselves no henry he's done something before uh we've liked what he's done before um this will have legs this will you know you know almost certainly end up with a finished product that's going to be useful across the I'm going to say across the bat world to be fair because although we're focusing or you're focusing here rather on the, the British Isles there's approaches in both of these books that could be replicated I suppose to a certain extent in other parts of the world with different uh, species different well, that's the idea. That's the idea. Yeah. you could do this, 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 yeah. this really all I've done with these things is take the 
I went and paid to do a master's degree. I sat in that room. I listened to Dr. Sarah Wilde. I listened to Alex Lockton. I'd listened to all the other lecturers and they told me how to do it. And I went and did it. So you, you pay your money. You think, well, I'm going to get my money's worth. So I just took the, the instructions they had given me and then used the tools they'd given me to create these, these, these projects. That was that was really it. And they were just intriguing. So I kept going. I have to say, I haven't found anybody really. There are there are some people who are who are less keen to uh, to be involved and contribute. But I haven't found anybody completely and utterly negative. I've had <laughs> I've had people say you're mad. Why <laughs> you're going to you're going to lose half your life and, and then come out at the end of it a burnout. Yeah. Um, but I, but really, it's all been fairly good humoured, and yeah. I've had some people who've got data that will that they're not ready to release yet okay. because they're going to write it up and they're working with it themselves and they're building on it, and that's fine, that's great, and nobody's obligated to give it. But where people have got things and they feel like they've they're done with it or they yeah they've just they've just I think people have been keen to contribute. Yeah, and I think. And again, just going back a couple of sentences there. Um, yeah, okay, you you chose to put yourself through that university uh, degree. You chose, you know, just because of your nature, your approach, how your brain works, you chose to ask questions. You chose to uh, seek answers and put the legwork in and... You know, and there's a massive, uh, there's a massive jump between someone that thinks about all of this stuff to someone that actually takes the risk and comes out of a comfort zone and potentially exposes themselves to the wider world and puts in the hard work in order to pull of all, all of this together. And, and I think that's, I think that's the difference, I think, between certain people. There are people that think about doing things and then there's that very small percentage of people that actually go, and hold on a minute, going to actually do something and make the commitment and have the resolve and the dedication to oh, actually do it. You know? We have to ask what the, the real underlying underlying driver is. Perhaps there's some psychological thing here. I'm yeah. still trying to get my father's validation. Maybe it's that chasing after yeah. him. I was never that popular as a child. I was always the smallest. I was always running after the bigger kids, you know, yeah. wanting them to play with me. So I think it's born of a massive inferiority complex, to be perfectly honest. I came into this very late. I was 33. Everyone I met was cleverer than I was. Um, a lot further on than I was, and I wanted to be part of the gang. And yeah. I, I, I swear that's my sole reason for, for, for pursuing chartered status with CIEM, was yeah. just validation that, that I did actually belong here. And then yeah. even after I got it, I thought, well, I'm not sure, maybe I've, you know, maybe, maybe I'd, I need to do more. I need to do more. Look, everybody, yeah. I, I exist. Maybe that's it, trying to leave some monument behind after we pass, and it's all just an homage to ego. Yeah, but who knows? But, but who, who who knows? And everybody everybody is driven by, I suppose, a slightly different menu, which includes all of the things you've discussed there. I'm you know, yeah. quite sure. Um, you certainly, when it comes to producing books, okay, 
uh, the one thing you don't do it for is the money, okay? <laughs> because the, well, well, we know that, don't we? Now? <laughs> yeah. Because if, if you actually added up the and yeah. even with all the support that you get and the papers and stuff that you refer to, etc., etc., as you've very generously alluded to there, even with that, when you just take the pure amount of hours and days and weeks and months. Uh, five years later, you look at the royalties, well, for argument's sake, <laughs> yeah, and then you divide you divide the royalties by the hundreds of hours, and you go, well, that probably was you know a pound fifty an hour of my time, you know, or whatever. Yep. <laughs> you would never you would never do it if if that's you know if if that was the motivation. Yeah, no, it's getting your thoughts in order more than anything, isn't it? So you, you're confident that the advice you're giving is actually correct. Yeah. and accurate and as i say to people you know that your motivation whenever you're doing something ask the question explain it to me like i'm a bat yeah yeah how's yeah. this going to benefit me because anything that we do like this involves an element of disturbance to the animals so yeah. uh, as you know how's it going to benefit them what's the outcome yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, it's it's fascinating hearing hearing your uh, your thoughts on this it really is so where does the where does the future take you? So you're kind of where you're at now. Um, what's happening in your life now? Where do you oh, see I yourself? I don't know. A year from now? Five years from now? Well, I don't. Before we get there, we have to. There's there's other things. I mean, uh, the the we finished James and I finished the bat uh, prey species associations report last year and put that out and compared to that bat roosting trees is finger painting okay that okay. was monumental piece of work absolutely the, the, the mountain to climb and in that i i had an idea and then somebody published a paper and then we took it forward and actually put it together and this the idea was what are the bats eating okay the bats are eating different invertebrates what are those <clears throat> invertebrates eating so if we want to farm the bats, we have to farm the prey. How do we do this? Okay. So James followed the rabbit hole down and we produced this enormous framework. He went away and found out everything that every invertebrate species that the bats were taking was itself reliant upon. So their larval food plant, every you know, invertebrate has a, uh, has a two-stage life, doesn't it? It has an embryo stage and then it has the adult stage where okay. it mates. Yeah. Disper yeah. it disperses mates dies so what does it need for the larval stage and then what do the adults eat and james trawled every book and every paper to pull all this together while i came up with a framework for actually working all this out and at the same to putting this into so that we could use it as a tool um, and we batted various iterations backwards and forwards came up with a big excel spreadsheet we um looked at the uh, putting it into a report so that people who don't like excel have a big paper report and at the same time i went away and thought well james already knows all this about inverts i don't i need to so i did a huge invertebrate behavior review which wow answered so many questions and uh, um I swarming, for example, we all know about swarming bats, uh, biotis bat swarm. Yep, yeah, yeah. yeah. So do some of the, yeah, so do but long eared, so do lesser horseshoe. Some other species get involved in swarms as well. Well, the diptera swarm, that's their mating mechanism. And the swarms are male, wholly male, just like the bats. Yeah, they're predominantly male. 
And how these swarms work is they have a swarm marker, which might be a discarded dustbin lid or a, or a bin liner or something like that. And these swarm can see this and they all fly in exactly the same direction, although they're moving position and they hold the, the swarm. The female enters the swarm, pairs with the mate and the two drop to the ground. Okay. So bat swarming is exactly the same thing. So it's unsurprising that these swarms would be predominantly male bats and then the females come in and then they go off and they mate and then they leave. They don't stay in the, over the swarm marker overnight. They disperse and find places to rest. So there was a lot in there. That's going off site tangent. But I learned so much and then a lot more about then suddenly thinking, well, that explains a hell of a lot of bat behaviour. Okay. So we pulled all of that together and we put that in the Bat Prey Species uh, Association report as well, which is on the BTHK website for anybody to download, as is the spreadsheet. So supposing you want to enhance a piece of habitat, perhaps you're doing this for your, your biodiversity net gain. You can go in there and choose, so you know you've got a population of Barbacel on your site, you've got to create this enhanced habitat for them, or you can go in there and you can choose all the plant species that those barbastels will benefit from because they'll wow. support the prey that the barbastels eat wow. and you just deliver that make your your plant community out of that and do the whole site we've done one we did one for sobrano pips okay. and made everything that was planted in there but it tells you you know all sorts of things that that that, that should be you should immediately think about but perhaps don't so uh, you know there's no point in planting a hedgerow that is parallel to the wind you want it perpendicular to the wind and you want ranks of hedgerows so they act as a windbreak and all the prey ends up behind the hedges so Watch that the yeah. bats can use it you know all yeah. this kind of thing and it's thinking about how you're going to structure that habitat so that's one that we've done got it out um then there's another one where uh which is called the abra and i can't remember what the acronym stands for but that's we did all our detector surveys so using sm2s huge arrays you know 10 16 detectors on each site to then uh we'd make an advanced prediction on what bat species should be there and when then we'd use the detectors to test that prediction so it's a predictive framework that's now been tested by the detectors and that needs to be written up okay. and i'm in the process of writing that up but there's so many other things that i want to do and because there's so many other things that I want to do, I've now gone back to being a sole trader and other people have gone off to other consultancies, other roles. Okay. James has gone freelance. Um, and I've gone back to being a sole trader so that I can really get my fingers pruny and all the other, other things that I'm interested in. Because although I'm known for bats, I've actually got lance licenses to work with uh, rare plants, uh, great crested newts, sand lizards, smooth snakes, dormice. Do quite a lot of badger work. And all these things I have databases for. All my data goes into databases at the end of it. So big Excel spreadsheets that I can then filter and footle around with it. And as I say, I'm functionally enumerate, so my stats <laughs> are not great. But I've done tests on reptile refuges and on encounter rates and on all sorts of stuff. And all that languishes if you're concentrating solely on dog work ecology and running a consultancy because you're managing people and you spend all your life in meetings talking about guidance and the application of policy, whether interpretations of things, which takes you out of ecology. You become a sort of policy drone uh, I, I wasn't fulfilled by that i don't i don't enjoy it 
And there are people who are so much better at it than I am. I did a webinar, and a, a couple of those legal webinars by Freeths and sat in there thinking, gosh, these people are so much brighter than I am. They're so much better. Why am I struggling away at something I'm not so good at? Why don't I concentrate on the things that I enjoy? Okay. And I'm yeah. lucky in that I have wealthy parents who are able to <laughs> step in when funds are short and uh, and uh, so yeah I, I have the opportunity to go back to being a sole trader and write up all the other things i've got so i've got i've got a reptile project i want to write up that Teresa and i are actually working together which is really nice i've got that abra thing to finish i've got uh i want to update the battery habitat key report i've got the uh, battery habitat key data report database report to do for this year abigail had done a draft and i need to go through and add to all of that and tidy that up um so there's this there's an enormous amount to do and still get out and and so i have another project but to be able to get back to that project i have to let go okay uh, see, to, to, if you love something, set it free. Right. Well, battery habitat key and bat rock habitat key are hopefully going to the Bat Conservation Trust. They okay. are going to take them on, host them and take them forward. Okay. I've done this for two reasons. The first one is I need to free things up. The other one is that as you get older, you develop schema that are you become resistant to change don't you you become yeah, entrenched uh, in your view yeah and yeah. sometimes it needs somebody else to come in with a fresh, fresh, a fresh perspective yeah absolutely yeah. and yeah. rip the whole thing apart and say well is there a way of doing this better i am convinced there is a way of doing it better um i've done that you know i've kind of i've cut a trail it's not the trail there may be a better one there may be a better way of doing it. And I think that these, these things now need to go on to somebody else to be able to, who will be able to publicise them. BCT have an outreach far greater than mine. Um, and so they will then take the money from the books um, and that will help with funding. I may have to, I, I will still give my time yeah. to them to be able to, when, when, when asked, um, I'll give input, but it will be up to them to decide how they want to proceed with things. So uh, yeah, that, that will then free my time up to finish another book okay right which is everything that i've learned okay. well, um and when i say i've learned everything other people have taught me yeah. i have access to all these papers mountains of information that other people don't have access to i have a library that most people wouldn't be able to get hold of so i mean i can reach behind me like this and pull off the shelf all three volumes of Wimsat, which you can't see, but this is the biology of bats, which was published back in the 1970s, which yeah. is incredible, but costs 500 quid and I had to wait for it, you know? Yeah. So yeah. all this information isn't there for other people and I've pulled it all together. So it's a chapter on why bats look the way they do. Okay. Uh, it explains uh, the concepts of rarity and extinction risk. So why bats have different conservation statuses. Okay. It yeah. goes into uh, performance. So 
the senses and physical, how fast they can fly, how high they can fly, whether they can land and pursue prey, whether they do. Yeah. Um, what they can, I just, just, and I think one of the things I read, I read a lot about uh, biosonar and I came into it and I'm a bit honest with you, I thought it was an bunker. <laughs> I came in and I thought, I cannot see how that could work. To see a moth that was flapping its wings, I cannot see how that would work. And, and, and a lot of what's published latterly just works to the presumption that it's just believe us, it's true. Right, okay. Well, I didn't. So I went back and found all the early stage stuff from Griffin and lots of others where they proved it was true. There's, okay. there's, 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 the, there's the smoking gun. Yeah. You know, and then you follow it on with all Hans Ulrich's Schnitzer stuff, which is just mind blowing, um, up to the sort of present day. So I, I think one of the things that doesn't come out in a lot of the a lot of the books on bats is just how advanced they are. And there's a brilliant statement in the, in the evolution of bats. We were lemuroid when bats had developed biosonar. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> just, yeah, no, they uh, and uh, just how how effective their biosonar is and their sensual perception is compared to our our own. They're on yeah. a completely different level, and when you actually get into it, it's mind blowing. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. And I don't think I think so. I've tried to to draw that out and then get into all the the, the sort of um, you know what why they are where they are, how their different niches work how they manage to occupy different time and space and coexist as 17 species where Homo sapien, you put two different families of them in the same street and they have a fight. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so, so all, all of this is, all of this is distilling into uh, a book. Is that it's, it's there. The draft of it is more or less there. I just need yeah. to finish it. I just need to finish it. And I need to get some, um, some, critical feedback before I put it out. So once I've, once I've written it up completely, I then need to be able to find a sort of review board who will come in and say, okay, this is, you know, this, this is right, this is wrong, this maybe you should yeah. have thought about that to yeah. make sure that it's absolutely correct and give something that's, again, just here, have this. And I haven't decided whether I'm going to do that as a book or whether I'm just going to give it as a, a report. I sometimes think when you give things as a report, it doesn't get as wide a circulation. It isn't publicised as much. Yeah, yeah. But then if you do a book, what do you do with the money? Yeah. Well, you know, you where does that money in, go? You invest it in other projects to then tell people even more. <laughs> but, yes, I know, but if you're asking for people for their time to yeah. review it, yeah. you do you speculate and say to them, can I pay you to, to review the ah. book? Can I pay you to review this chapter in the hope that you'll recoup that money, which we both know isn't going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because although there is a, a, a growing interest in bats, it's still not enough to make you sort of, you're never going to be JK Rowling, are you? Let's face no, it. No, no, absolutely. No. Absolutely. Yeah. Not even David Williams. <laughs> <laughs> so, goodness, I mean, just listening to you talking about all of that stuff that uh, not just the new book, but the other things that you've been talking about as well. Uh, that must be like the next five years plus easily mapped out just just with those ideas yeah you're going to be a you're going to be a busy guy yeah <laughs> well it all depends if these ones come to fruition doesn't it just because yeah. i haven't i got the books so i'm gonna do it again <laughs> they just all remain in my head yeah yeah, yeah. No, just it's absolutely fascinating fascinating stuff right folks well 
I think that's taking us almost to the end and it's been fascinating talking to Henry. Um, a lot of stuff has come out in today's Talking Bat. I hope it's, uh, I don't know, it'll be different things for different people. Um, we're talking here about his experiences, his challenges, his life journey, um, some of the fabulous things that have been produced and other ideas for things that may or hopefully will be produced at some point in the future. And I've just, as I always do with these interviews, I just find it fascinating, inspiring, uh, listening to these people talk about their lives and their experiences and stuff. Henry, is there anything that we haven't spoken about that we should have mentioned at this point? Um, I always like to ask that question in case there's something obvious that I've missed. No, I don't think so. I think I hope I've given you what you what you wanted. Yeah, I, I just think it's just so important for people uh, in our sector just to just to find out more about other people in our sector, you know. And it's it's too it's too easy to draw your conclusions about someone based on a 20 minute presentation you've seen them deliver at a conference or something like that. And as we both know, there is so much more to everybody. And it's just been excellent today to have an opportunity to find out so much more about yourself. So what I normally do at this stage, Henry, is uh, I say thanks, which I'm about to do. And then after that, if you just say thank you or goodbye or a combination of whatever, and we'll take the interview to a close. So everybody, one massive thank you to Henry Andrews. We will put some links to the Bat Habitat key and Bats and Rocks key underneath the video. But apart from that, just one massive, massive thank you to Henry for your time today. And Henry, if you close things off, we'll end the recording. Thanks very much. Yeah. All right. Well, th thank you for having me. And uh, yes, you can always, anybody that does have any questions, you can find me on Facebook. I'm on there and I am quite active. So, uh, uh, yeah, if you have specific questions about things or you're searching for a journal paper that you just cannot find, ask me because I probably have it and can dig it out for you. OK, thank you. And goodbye. We hope you enjoyed this Talking Bat interview, which is an edited, audio-only version of the original videoed session. The full version, including video, is available via Betability Club, our online training platform. To find out more about Club, go to batability.co.uk. Till next time, thank you.